Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to the Evening Standards Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride. Uh, no Sarah this week, unfortunately, but the Evening Standards rugby correspondent Nick Puriwal is here and also back by popular demand. And the fact that he's forced himself back on the podcast is the Evening Standards Steve Cording. Japs, how are you both, Nick? Um, another pretty hectic week in the world of uh, reporting rugby for the Evening Standard, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Lawrence. Yeah, there's been a lot going on. On the club front, I was at London Irish against Newcastle, a massive win for Irish, really important for them, a big morale booster. And obviously, everyone knows that the the wider sort of situation with England and their review and Eddie Jones and that will rumble on for the next couple of days. And Steve, what's kept you busy this week or last week? Hello chaps, great to be back. Been in the throes of uh, party season obviously, In the, uh, it's getting going early. We had our uh, Met Police under 12s Christmas party on Saturday night. Now as football parties go, it was quite tame, went bowling, had a few burgers the parents obviously had a few beers. We made the mistake of having a game the next day uh, and the score was 16-0 uh, that we lost in the Cup. Now, to be fair, we were playing a team that was five divisions higher, but it didn't go down too well anyway. So I've got to make it up to my son today. It's his birthday. He's 12. So we're going to go for a little spot on Nando's uh, later on uh, with some of his pals. It's probably going to be the, the last year we'll enjoy before he becomes a teenager next year. And then I'll have to uh, get some more advice from you, Lol, on how to... Uh, address the parties from there onwards well listen he's probably already on uh, you know in terms of his spice factor he's on he's on hot already I'd imagine his dad's probably still on medium or, or lemon and herb I should imagine <laughs> uh, I presume uh, does he think England are going to win the World Cup at football now that we've beat the mighty Wales and the mighty Senegal I think we all do, don't we? All probably getting a bit carried away. I've still got a little bit of a sore head from last night. It was uh, it was all quite straightforward in the end, wasn't it? Um, I mean, they, they, I'd like to remind people they do have a population of seventeen million people, Senegal. So, I mean, I guess it was slightly harder than Wales. Did you watch it at home? Uh, I watched it at home. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It does seem that England need a goal, don't they, to get going? It's still a bit of a worry if they don't sort of get that breakthrough and they don't get going really. But um, yeah, listen, it's it's exciting. I think when you play France, Nick, uh, on neutral territory, yes, they've got some dangerous players, but uh, it just seems like anyone can win this World Cup and you wouldn't necessarily think that the team that's favourite is going to win. But there, there is this nagging feeling with this terrible, terrible sad news about Pelé that uh, Brazil might rise from from that devastating news if it happens. Yeah, I mean, I think yes, horrendous about Pelé, obviously, and somebody who's just been the overarching legend of the game for such a long time. But on the England front, I mean, you know, th- with the rugby hat on, they've really taken a leaf out of rugby's book in terms of analysis 
And actually, the first goal was clearly a sort of semi-pre-planned move to you know, to exploit where they thought the space was. And these are the sorts of moves that they develop, you know, in, for individual opponents. And they've been analysing each possible team they could have been playing for the last year, 18 months. We never seem to be able to time all three sports to be successful at the same time. I turned the cricket on today. We've just won a most magnificent victory in Pakistan and incredibly brave captaincy from Stokes to declare when he did, you know, to make some of the decisions that he made in the field. So the football and the cricket are going okay. The rugby seems to have dropped. And then a couple of years ago, it was the rugby that was doing well. But uh, we shall focus on the rugby. Last week, I was at a lovely presentation to the referee, Wayne Barnes, who received a cap from the RFU for his 100th uh, game. Thoroughly well-deserved. And I think that's probably the most interesting thing that happened to me last week. Nick, the big talking point has to be the news that's coming out of the RFU, not just the WRU who have now seemed to have um, settled. For those of you who don't know, we're recording this on uh, on Monday afternoon. Wales have now um, sacked Wayne Pivak, very sadly. Never nice for anyone to lose their job, but they have replaced him with uh, Warren Gatlin. So um, I guess that's a great selection, one that Wales supporters will be very pleased with, I'm sure. Uh, maybe England supporters not quite so pleased with because it clearly rules him out of the England equation. Nick, you're the man closest to the ground. It What's the news on Eddie Jones? Is there a feeling that maybe this review might go in his favour or, or is it too close to call? I think it's become increasingly close to call and I think it is a slightly unusual situation of genuinely given who you speak to, you'd get a sort of different answer or a different kind of feeling of which way it could go. And I think some of it will actually come down to how the meetings go on Monday afternoon and the sort of position Eddie Jones takes set alongside that of Bill Sweeney. And I think if they can kind of come to some kind of a smoothing out of a few things that have become issues between them, a bit of a consensus, then there's a chance he could keep going. I mean, the results have been going south for quite some time. And I know that we, everyone has been talking about building for the World Cup, or certainly Eddie Jones has. But it almost comes to a point where the results um, are just so bad that you can't actually have any more credibility in the role. And I mean, if you talk to Eddie Jones, I'm sure he would argue against those results. But I think the fans have sort of realised or woken up to the fact that we've finished fifth. I repeat, fifth out of six in the last two Six Nations. I mean, thank goodness for Italy. And we've lost to Scotland three out of the last four. Eddie Jones would argue, well, we won a test series in Australia, which is a pretty tough thing to do, 2-1, having lost the first test. And that was a positive spike, I guess. But obviously off the back of that, to come into the autumn and to lose two matches, we were lucky to draw one, if I'm honest, and then we, we won one against Japan. I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to explain that away, isn't it, in terms of results? And if they don't make the decision to, to change coaches, I guess if the results in the Six Nations don't go England's way, there's a lot of people that end up with egg on their face. I think this is the balance, isn't it? Because yes, it's close to the World Cup now, but making a change either in the middle of or after the Six Nations is pretty much impossible, isn't it? So this is the last opportunity to make a change if they're going to make it. I mean, in terms of a replacement for Eddie, then really the, the overwhelming candidate is Steve Borthwick. He was always the favourite to succeed Eddie after the 2023 World Cup. The big thing will be if the RFU decide to uh, to sack Eddie Jones now, Eddie Jones and his assistants, then they'd have to pay out more than a million pounds in compensation. And obviously they would have to pay big compensation to Leicester for Steve Borthwick and probably a couple of his assistants that he would obviously clearly want to take with him. Steve, Connor O'Shea, who's the performance director of England Rugby, would have canvassed a lot of opinions from the 
players internally. I'm sure he must have spoken to Owen Farrell. He must have spoken to a lot of the players internally. Now, I know the players are often very hesitant to to discuss these things publicly. They normally back their coach. But if you're a long-standing player in that squad, of which there are a few that played in the last World Cup, you do sort of ask yourself the question, well, I know that I'm a much better player than I'm showing at the moment. Why am I not getting the best out of myself as a player? Is it me? Is it the coach? Is it everything that's going on? Because I used to ask myself that question you know pretty much every week how can I get the best out of myself to ensure that my team wins and that I stay in the England team and um, when I think about the world-class performances that we've seen from some of the best players in the squad like Owen Farrell, Maritoji, all these guys they're nowhere near that at the moment. No they're not I think to that point it's interesting really that we've only heard from Ellis Genge post the autumn series who's really come out and sort of held his hands up and said the players needed to do more it's down to us we need to take responsibility you did get that feeling I mean I was unlucky enough or lucky enough to be at Twickenham for the South Africa game and you did sort of sense that amongst that group of players there didn't seem to be a plan on how they wanted to perform and they didn't really know what to do when things started to go awry and then you put that back to the coaches you know that's where you take your guidance from I mean, Mike Brown, who we obviously had on the show earlier in the season, uh, he wrote yesterday that, in his opinion, it's an environment of fear and that the players are scared to make decisions on their own. Well, I think, you know, let's just discuss that because, you know, as you know, I, I'm, I like Eddie Jones. I think he's a likeable guy. If he was, you know, you're having a beer with him, he's good fun, it's good value, and, he, you know, he knows rugby. But I think more and more so now, probably even more so than when I was playing, I think the way that you talk to players, the way you communicate and the way you treat people is really fundamental important and I don't know exactly what's going on but I have spoken to various individuals and you've got to treat people in the right way I think Eddie's such a hard taskmaster he puts so much pressure on his staff and so much pressure on his players that it becomes very very uncomfortable and that's not right and if you're the captain you've got to point that out to him and say listen mate you know you need to just calm down you know we need to have some fun. We need to enjoy ourselves. We need to have a bit more freedom now. As I understand it, Nick, you know, Eddie has cut the players a bit more slack this year. That's right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And, I uh, think it's, it's funny that because I think it. I think the, the the experiences of the players would fall into two fairly clear camps: those that are sort of regulars and manage to earn uh, Eddie Jones's respect, and they're there again and again. I think he treats them pretty well, and they seem to like him a lot. And and actually. More than ever, there has been this sort of softening around the edges. And so the players have kind of come away from this autumn, genuinely meaning what they're saying when they say, actually, we've enjoyed this campaign more than any of the others. Well, maybe maybe they shouldn't be enjoying it. Well, and see, well, that, that actually does raise a point, doesn't it? Does that actually lead um, Eddie Jones to kind of, if it's Eddie Jones light, for example, is he not being at his best? Does he need to be like on that edge of ruthlessness for himself to get the best out of himself? You know my feelings on the review. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to review the fact that every single coach that's worked for Eddie Jones I mean the longest standing coach must only have been there two years I think if you're doing a review you've got the first question you would ask is so why is every coach that's worked under him walked away now if you're creating the best environment in the world you don't leave that do you you want to be part of it you want to stay there England is not necessarily the best team in the world at the moment, but it's probably one of the top three jobs in the world, whether you're the doctor, the fitness conditioner, the head coach, whatever role you have in that team, it's it's a top, top job in rugby. Why would you walk away from that? Why would you leave? And that churn of staff and that churn of people is just, you can't ignore that because clearly something is is not keeping them there. 
And every time you get someone new that comes in, it takes time for them to get to know the players. The players take time to get to know the coaches. And I don't think you can build consistency in terms of your messaging or your culture or anything if your churn of staff is so high. So that's the first question I'd be asking if I was doing a review. If it's correct that Ian McGeekin is leading this review, as we were led to believe over the weekend, I mean, you, you know him, Lowell. Will he be asking those questions of... Eddie Jones today as we're speaking now. Well, I mean, I love Ian. Not sure why we need to go to a Scotsman to lead the review, though. Um, maybe it becomes much more independent in that on that basis. I mean, uh, Ian's a, an incredible figure in the game. He understands the game. He's coached at every level. But, uh, you know, you've got to ask some honest questions, haven't you? Whoever's leading that review needs to have some honest questions and some very honest answers. For me, not just at the coaching level, but actually in terms of the communication with the fans, there needs to be a genuine communication from someone that the fans respect and identify as someone who's going to tell them the truth. What would you both do then? I mean, Lord, would you keep Eddie now and, and Nick from your perspective? Do you think he should stay? Well, for me, I would have changed things a lot earlier, if I'm honest with you. There is a pattern of behaviour that happens with England. You know, Eddie Jones is a magnificent coach. He did it with Australia, got Australia to a World Cup, and then two years later, he got sacked. And there's a familiar repeat pattern that's happened here, where he's taken England to a World Cup final. And then three years later, the results have gone so far south that his position, I think, has become untenable myself. But the players support him. I'm not sure where the fans sit. There's a disconnect now between the fans and the coach. And I think if you get that, I think it becomes very, very hard to get that back. I think they have to make some decisions and it's not just about interim. I think there needs to be new ideas and some fresh thoughts around what's going on to get those fans back. It's a conundrum. Wales have uh, decided to twist. England have got to make that decision, I guess. Do they stick or, or do they twist? If I were to put you on the spot, Nick and Steve, what's your gut feeling? You know, I think if, if I were having a choice now, I probably would stick. But what I would say is, you know, get back to being your toughest self. And it's not going to be much fun, but it's what gets results from Eddie Jones, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he's going to stay. I think he's still the best man qualified to do that job. Do, I think... do you not think if he stays and results go even further downhill and we have a disastrous World Cup, that really then everyone in the RFU would have to walk themselves, really, wouldn't they? Because, I mean, they've got to weigh up from their own perspectives that, yes, there is an um, anonymous review panel, but actually the people in charge are Bill Sweeney and Conor O'Shea. And, you know, their reputations are somewhat on the line, if you like, because... If they endorse him for a third time and things don't go well, then you have to hold your hand up and go, well, that was my decision. And therefore, it's probably time that I walk as well. But I feel like if it's Steve Borthwick, then it isn't necessarily that big a change, is it? Because obviously he's worked under Eddie, he understands it. Well, I mean, I, I think England deserve to have the very best rugby coaches around. So putting one person in charge with all their IP, for me, is not the way to do it. You know, I think that there is a number of people that are required who are very senior people who could come together to make England a much better side. So would you have a director of rugby who is a coach as well as a head coach? Yeah, I probably would. I would have three or four coaches in there who are all the brains outfit of that group. And also the communication between the team and the, the RFU, the communication between the team and the fans needs to improve dramatically because there is no communication at the moment. It is the worst and the lowest I've ever known it to be in my life. And therefore, if you want to get a group of people behind you, you need to let them know what you're doing and you need to communicate that. It's a very emotional game and, and we need fans need to hear it and they, need, they just need the truth. Have you been out for a beer with him then, Eddie? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been with him at times. What's he like? Because I guess that's the one thing we don't know is what is he really like? 
Well, I think he probably regards people like me as members of the media. You know, I never say or, or write anything that I wouldn't be prepared to say to people's face. You know, I think if you do that, you know, it's the wrong way to approach it, really. There's a sensitivity around how you describe and write things. But, you know, if I was sat with him, I'd, I'd say the same. You know, why are you not getting the best out of your players? You know, what, what's going You know, what's going on? You know, what do you need to help you to do that? Because, you know, why are you speaking to players in such a way that is, you know, coaches that they're walking out the door, you know? You know, clearly what becomes very evident to me is that he's a good coach. He's just not a very good communicator, you know. So, therefore, I think he would be very very successful within the England team if he wasn't the head coach, Eddie Jones, if I'm honest, because it's so much more about how you speak to players, how you deal with them, how you manage them, you know, understanding their soft spots, understanding that they're not big, tough, rugby players every day. You know, you can't just speak so aggressively. You can't tell players that they're overweight and they're not good enough. You know, players can tell each other that. It's not the coach's job to tell you that, you know. So that, for me, is the biggest role within English rugby is having someone who creates a culture where the players drive the standards forward and not the coach. Can I just countenance my saying that Eddie Jones will stay? Because if it's now been overtaken... I did once write that Stephen Gerrard was going to be named England football captain on the day that the job was given to John Terry. And the man who had told me, the man who told me that Stephen Gerrard was going to be the England football captain was John Terry. So uh, can I just say that if my comment at any stage is now out of date, um, I have got history in this department. So I do. Well, I mean, listen, it's an absolutely fascinating decision to be made. And by the time this pod goes live, um, I'm sure our listeners will have probably heard even more from who may well be staying or who um, may well be taking over so uh, some big decisions to be made for the future of English rugby normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Let's move on. Let's take a look at this weekend's Premiership action then. Harlequins beat Bath down at the Rec on Friday night to continue their top four status. I think they're third at the moment. On Saturday, Nick was at London Irish. They managed to get a vital win and move themselves off the bottom of the table with a bonus point win over a hot streaking Newcastle. I myself had the pleasure of being down at King's Home where Gloucester gave George Skewington a very happy 40th birthday present by beating Northampton Saints 34-19. And in the last game, 
Bristol Bears took an early lead against Leicester, but Leicester surged out to a lead at half-time and somehow Bristol Bears managed to uh, claw their way back into the game and I think it finished in a 26-all draw. So some action all the way across the league. Nick, let's start with you. You were at London Irish. They've had it quite tough recently. A lot of rumours around off-field situation there. A much-needed win for the Green Army. It was massive, yeah, and it fully deserved. They played very well, and uh, they rode out a very difficult period just after half time, where they lost the lead. But I think they, for the most part, nullified Newcastle's maul, which is a bit of a weapon, and uh, stopped them from playing. They were much more sort of considered kicking out of hand and using the territory. And with guys of Ollie Hassel Collins and Ben Loder and people like that, they've always threats out wide, and you know it's quite balanced. And uh, given they've been on the wrong end of some tight ones on the road I think yeah it's a massive morale booster for them yeah and I guess Newcastle am I right in thinking they'd won three on the bounce which um, you know I mean Dave Walder is doing a fantastic job because I look at their squad and I know that they're not spending anywhere near the level of combined salaries as some of the teams that they're beaching so in that sense, you know, you've got to say that there's a decent spirit there, there's a good culture there, and there's some good coaching going on there because they're managing to win games when, really, on paper, they've got no right to win. Absolutely, and uh, everyone knows that uh, Kingston Park on a wet, windy Friday night isn't exactly <laughs> the, the easiest place to go for an away side, and they always harness that to their advantage. Um, one thing that I did like in their sort of attacking shape was using Adam Radwan off his wing as a you know sort of extra auxiliary playmaker it was his pass which set up one of the tries There's some amazing players amazing wingers particularly you think of Collins you think of uh, Radwan Caden Murley all these guys that are playing really well week in week out but as we know form is not really an indicator for national selection really uh, at the moment I mean I said that in my commentary at King's Home and my two co-commentators laughed at me you know either side of me but it's a fact isn't it you know Eddie goes to the game he watches every game you can't fault him as not being a, a good watcher, but he doesn't seem to believe that form is a key indicator of international pedigree. Now, maybe he knows something I don't, but if you're going to have a league and players are going to play in it, and then the coach is going to pick based on form, if you were picking form players, you'd pick a, probably a slightly different team, wouldn't you? Guys like Ben Earl would be in the equation, guys like Caden Murley. I mean, how much do these guys, you know, Hassel Collins who played, what do they have to do to break into that team? I think you're absolutely right, because if you're not judging people on how they're playing in the premiership, well, they're not playing anywhere else. So then how do you judge them? And I do think that one of the big things that's been lacking with England is they don't necessarily bring players in and improve them within their environment. They take what they have and they use it well sometimes. But I think you see someone like Marnon, who is the shining example of somebody who, when he got broke into the all-black side, he was very effective, but he was a crash ball centre. But by the second half of his career, he could run, kick, pass, tackle, and do all of that very well. They rounded him out in his attributes as a centre, and they were using him as a distributor and a, an extra kicking option out of defence. They taught him that at the All Blacks level, didn't they? I wonder if the players put a bit of pressure on them. I mean, we used to give each other a right load of grief sometimes in the England camp, just say, yeah, just say it, but you actually need a big game this weekend because you're in the old last chance saloon. <laughs> used to make that creaky. That's the noise, the last chance saloon. You know what I mean? And you know yourself when you're when you're on the back of a, a few bad games that you need a big performance. But uh, talking of big performances, let's stick with another one of your London teams, Nick, because you have to report on Harlequins. They went down to Bath on Friday at the Rec. Bath, somewhat of a resurgence under Van Graham. They've picked up a couple of wins, and it was a bit sort of niggly. Sort of, the lead was changing hands several times, but nonetheless, when they count the points at the end of the season, that's going to be an absolutely crucial win down there. And it, I just feel with those guys, with the likes of Marla. 
and Danny Kerr, having those guys around, I think Marlow was named player of the match. Kerr was quite instrumental in everything they did. It keeps them winning, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it looks like Joe Marlow's really dialed in at the moment, doesn't it? Obviously. He's dialed into interviewing after the match. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, oh, did, yeah. Poor, brilliant. Yeah. Poor old Sarah. Yeah, I mean, no wonder she's not come on today. I mean, what, I know. what is that? I know. About? I think she's, I think he owes her an apology. <laughs> but I mean, I think we should name player of the match the person that gives the best post match interview. That's my view. Um, because we don't want dull interviews. No, you know, quite. no one dull interviews. Anyway, Joe Marler doesn't do dull and Quinn's winning at the wreck. Uh, I was down at King's Home, you'll be pleased to know, where rugby is alive and kicking. They don't even know that a football World Cup is taking place down there. Uh, they've got no idea that that's happening. And they were under a bit of pressure, really. Gloucester, they'd lost three on the bounce. Admittedly, one away to Quinn's, one away to Sale, and the other one was at home to Newcastle, which was the one I think that hurt particularly and George Skivington talked about, I mean, they lost a lot of bodies during the international window. And I think as coaches, he's probably learning for the first time. How do you manage that, that, that situation? He just said, this week, we've got bodies back in the building and suddenly the training takes on a different shape. And you could see that Gloucester had Chris Harris back at um, outside centre, which makes a, or inside centre makes a huge difference. And they had Santiago Carreras playing at 10, who was magnificent, player of the match. And Anyone who thinks Argentina are going to be an easy team to play in the World Cup, you know, when you see that guy play more and more, you realise they've got some real quality there. And then Rapava Ruskin. So I think, you know, in those three players, they had the three the three best players on the pitch and, and thoroughly deserved to win. There was 25 tries in four matches this weekend, wasn't there? I mean, it was such a difference to watching international rugby, being able to watch that, that kind of exciting play again having basically other than watching New Zealand the rest of it was pretty well France was good as well I guess in a couple of their games but compared to watching England better fresh air really wasn't it yeah it is and and I don't know whether that's just because of the no pressure environment and the clubs are under without relegation the fact that they're playing slightly differently to England or whether it's refereeing slightly differently you know this weekend in Europe will be fascinating because you know there there is different interpretations at the breakdown uh, as much as it is becoming uh, clearer you know we saw that the other day when we had the French referee refereeing uh, the England team they seemed to get uh, hammered at the breakdown so uh, I found that myself, you know, you, there's a lot more positive promotion of attacking play uh, in terms of the way that we referee the game in the Premiership. But at European and international level, you have to balance that a little bit because they do allow a, a much more aggressive contest on the floor for the ball. And the guys that you're trying to remove off the breakdown are much bigger at international level uh, and European level. So I would come to Eddie Jones's defence in the sense that I don't think we necessarily are creating the right environment for international rugby. I think the Premiership is a great product, but the players need to, to step up to a different level of intensity and physical nature when they play European and international rugby. Steve, did you manage to catch the last game of the weekend? The, I the did, Bristol yeah. The, the the draw, I mean, that was not a great way for Steve Borthwick maybe to put his CV forward for the England job, giving up such a lead as they did at the end. But it was certainly full of everything that we've had this season in terms of ups and downs and definitely a result that Bristol needed to get that 26-all draw. And I thought um, Dan Kelly on his return after eight months out was superb for a Leicester team who put out seven England internationals, I think, in the backs which I think is the first time I was hearing that that had ever happened. So I think a much needed point for Pat Lamb. They're still not in the position that they'd want to be at the midpoint of the season. But um, certainly, uh, I mean, some of the play that Ellis Genge put in, considering that he'd been involved in the Autumn Nations series, he was certainly putting himself about and not holding back. So, yeah, a great result, I think, in the end for Pat Lamb, given where they were as the game was going on. 
And uh, obviously, we were celebrating uh, restart weekend where uh, we really pushed the work of the RPA. Everyone was in red. Sarah had a beautiful red jacket on. I couldn't work out if she was uh, just supporting Wales, as per usual, or supporting the home team in Gloucester, or she was uh, celebrating restart. But uh, a wonderful weekend. And I think, you know, this season in particular has really highlighted the absolutely crucial work that the RPA restart charity do on behalf of players that find themselves in very difficult situations, like some of those guys at Wasps and Worcester, players that have to retire from injury. Um, so well done for that and well done to the players for supporting it. We are at the halfway point in the Premiership. Bristol, London Irish, Newcastle, all now on 17 points, sort of uh, tied for uh, 9th, 10th and 11th. Bath on 18. I think there's only maybe seven points that separate 11th right the way up to uh, 5th. So it, it looks very congested. Saracens, Nick, are sort of running away with it at the halfway point. Normally, the four teams that are in the playoffs at the halfway point go on to contest. Certainly the top three sides, which currently are Saracens, Sale and Harlequins. And then you've got Gloucester, Leicester, Northampton, Exeter. Do you think it's fair to say that the semi-finals will be those three and then any one from Gloucester, Leicester, Northampton, Exeter? It seems like it, doesn't it? I mean, certainly, obviously, Saracens, they seem to be streets ahead of, of everybody else. But um, I also feel like Sale maybe will have a wobble in them, but I'm sure they'll still have enough to get in there. And it's been an extremely impressive season from them so far. And yeah, and that's a lot of pressure to put on for those sort of other teams to be under, aren't they? For one spot, three or four sides going for one spot because because there's a, a group of teams there that would naturally have almost an expectation to get there, wouldn't they? That makes it a very sort of a nervy second half of the season, but exciting for the neutrals. Well, let's um, do our outstanding now. Outstanding. Supported by Fuller's London Pride. We always choose one player each for who we think is outstanding, like a good pint of Fuller's London Pride. Uh, so this week, Steve, who are you going for? Well, I've mentioned him already, but I'm going to go for Dan Kelly from Leicester. I think given the injury that he's returned from, the way he played in the game, I thought he was just superb in terms of the challenge to gone. I mean, he was on for an hour. He carried the ball eight times, put in nine great tackles and scored a wonderful try. So for me, for his first display since the semi-final last year, I thought Dan Kelly was outstanding. Agreed. Top player. So he's outstanding. Nick, who have you gone for? I'm going to pick Agustin Creevy for London Irish. I love the fact that he's 37 and he's still one of those old school breed of hooker. He just loves scrummaging. You can see he kind of really makes his presence felt in the set pieces. His line outs were accurate as well, but Irish dominated the scrum and everything started from there for them in the win. And yeah, I mean, to be that age and still be putting it around, it's uh, impressive. And he obviously hasn't lost any of his love for it. And it's great to see. Yeah, agreed. And I'm going to go for another Argentinian in the spirit of a wonderful month that they've had in beating England at Swickenham, but also their fly half. He's usually uh, either a wing or a fullback, but Santiago Carreras was, I thought, unbelievably good. I was desperate to give the man of the match to Rapava Ruskin because he was also exceptionally good. Nine metres per carry, three or four turnovers at the breakdown, but Carreras played so, so well. He did everything that was asked of him, and I think he's probably asked a few questions of George Skivington now with Adam Hastings out. You know, they've got a fly half there it's more than capable. So Santiago Carreras is my outstanding player of the week. Uh, and I think that probably wraps us up. We have European matches next weekend. So the Premiership takes a break. So that'll be interesting. But that's all for this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast supported by Fuller's London Pride. My thanks to Steve and to Nick. We'll be back next week with more rugby chat. So until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride. 
official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.